Welcome to Life's Journeys podcast by Aviva. I'm Bob Flavin and I'll be your host for today's episode, which is all about tips for buying a family car. I'm joined by Kate, a mom of three from Greystones, who's looking to buy a used car. Hi, Kate. Kate, Hi, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, so I'm Kate Gunn from Greystones. Uh, I'm a mom of three and they're 15, 13 and 11. So growing up quick now. Um, and I work part time and do a, a billion school runs and sports drop offs a day. Big kids in the back of a small car. That was going on. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a, a very old um, 08 car um, and it is on its last legs it's about to die any day now um, and the kids hate it and are embarrassed by it on the school run uh, so I think it is time to look for something else You want to upgrade from 2008 are you looking new or you want to buy a used car? Um, I would love to buy a new car but I uh, just don't have the budget for that so um, I'm definitely looking for a second hand car um, and I suppose that's where the problem comes in is that I have a limited budget um, so I could probably get a better deal from buying off an individual but then you haven't got the security of buying from a garage so mm. even in that I'm not sure which to go for. So the difference between buying from an individual and buying from a garage really is a sort of a warranty aspect thing. So if something's wrong with the car and it's a physical garage you bought it from, be it an independent dealer or a main dealer, it doesn't really matter, but it's a physical place that they operate as a business. That comes under the Consumer Goods Act. Okay, So you can do things there and they can give you a warranty. They, can, they usually only give you a three-month engine and gearbox warranty. It's not much of a warranty anyway, but at least it's some sort of security. So if something happens to the car you buy from an independent dealership, you can physically go back to a real building. Now, when you buy secondhand, so if you're buying just someone's outside someone's house or you know you meet them in somewhere and buy a car off them, that's basically null and void. You're probably never going to see them again. Mm -hmm. The chances of getting them, you know, even if the car was banjaxed when you brought it home, it doesn't really matter. They've got your money. They ta you've taken the car. So you've taken delivery. So there isn't really a way around that one. So for security purpose, for simplicity, buying it from a dealership is much more straightforward yeah, and much easier sense. to deal with. But... Uh, you know, the prices can be a little bit higher. You know, if you know what you're doing, if you're if you're a car person and you're into mm -hmm. getting under the car with a bit of overalls on you, then buying it from someone individually will get you the deals you're looking for. But yeah. the, the physical bricks and mortar garage is much better for security purposes. And then if you're talking about going to a garage, would you um, search online first or would you go to one of the huge secondhand dealerships um, and just look around those and get advice from the, the people in there? That's a good way of looking at it because sometimes physically seeing the car in front of you is a, is a remarkable thing. It really does make up your mind very quickly. Pictures often don't do a car justice. Some people like the idea of the picture of the car and then they see it physically and they don't like yeah. it. You know, on a cold, wet Tuesday here in Greystone somewhere, when you're looking at a car, it can look miserable when it's a grey car as well, you know. But when you see it, when you physically see it, it's good. The problem of going, what people don't like today is physically confronting a salesperson. They don't really like it. The, I, I, the more I hear this, the more I understand why. So when you go and you're looking at the car, all you want to do is just have a poke about inside the car. All they want to do is sell you the car. So there's mm -hmm. this little pressure thing that happens between the two of you. So generally speaking, I let people look online, go to a good website that goes, it has a good selection of used cars, Look through it and try and narrow it down to three cars. It doesn't have to be three dealerships, just three cars you like the look of and then start from there. Then narrow okay. it down to a dealership near you that has one of those cars you can go maybe have a little test drive in. So if you like dealing with people, that's great. You go down to the dealership mm -hmm. and you ask a question and you, you know, but if you don't like, if you're that kind of person that sits at home and mess on their phone okay. for a bit, then go for the phone yeah, first and narrow it down. That makes perfect sense. And then, so say I was to pick out the cars, 
go to a dealership, um, then um, I'm not sure what questions to actually ask. So for me, reliability would be very important. But other than looking at the car and seeing that I like the look of it, I don't really know what questions to ask them. Yeah. Well, reliability is a big factor. So it's a big factor for everybody. And it's the biggest cost you'll ever have. The first thing I ask people to do is look at the price of a set of tires for your car. When you've settled on a particular brand, a particular car, the one you like, the five-door hatchback for your dreams or the SUV of your dreams, get the size of the tires off it and look the price of them up online. If you look at the price of some of those cars, some brands of cars have tires that are 500 euro each per corner. So that's, you're straight away into 2000 euro for a set of four tires. Mm. But the car might be on sale for 2000 euro. You right. might be buying the car with the okay. price of tires on it. So so it's those kind of things that you do before you go near a dealership at all. Just make sure that the car is is a decent car, but also that it's serviceable, that you can get it serviced for a reasonable rate. But at the dealership, while you're standing in front of them, you want to know the mileage. You want to know genuinely how many people have owned the car. Because if it's had, if it's four years old and four people have owned it, mm-hmm. something's gone wrong there. If it's, if it's sold every year for a reason. If it's 10 years old and one person has owned it, then that might not yeah. be too bad. You know, you've got you, someone who owns it, loves it, and maybe looks after it. If a family owned it, it's, it's going to be treated fairly hard. Families tend to be very hard on cars. Uh, if a single person has owned it, it's the same principle. Mm. They've driven it around a lot, maybe. But the mileage will tell you a lot about a car. Uh, and generally speaking, mileage is fairly reasonable here in Ireland. We shouldn't really have very high mileage cars. We're not a very big country, you mm-hmm. know, so it's not a gigantic place. If there's huge mileage on it, then you want to look at the service history. And you want to physically see that thing. If you have stamps from a main dealer and the service history all the way through, if there's no big blank spots, that's worth its weight in gold. Service history is absolutely brilliant and critical for a car. One of the other things now that I was looking for, and um, it seems very frivolous, but one of the things my kids are really interested in is the whole uh, Bluetooth. It's their most important uh, item on it. Um, So I'm not sure whether my budget will allow cars with Bluetooth. I don't know whether that's like common in all cars now. Um, But is there anything, is there any way around that? Are there any devices that you can get that like plug into the car or anything like that? That's an amazing question. Do you know why? Because literally you can change out the entire head unit of a car. And if you own a 10-year-old car or a 12-year-old car, one of the fastest upgrades you can do to that car to make it feel brand new is to change out the stereo in it. You can get physical perfect replacements for the stereo you've got in your car right now, which will come with Bluetooth, a USB port, streaming, even play videos. You can do all of that on the, on the modern stuff. And it's like an instant upgrade for an wow. old car. So usually when someone comes to me and go, I have a good car, it's 10 years old, but I feel like I should change it. Just spend 150 quid on a valet and change out the stereo mm-hmm. head unit and it'll feel like a new car instantly. But you can do that to any new car you buy. So generally speaking, any car in the last five to eight years will have a Bluetooth connection on it of various types. Now, newer ones will have things like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, which is where your phone is hooked up directly to the screen and your phone is running the screen. So that would be fairly average in most modern cars. Um, But if it doesn't have that, you can have a a little upgrade to it. Most of those stereos are cost between 150 and 350 euro, depending on what stereo you want. And if you change the speakers out as well for something a bit more bassy, you know, like a boy racer with a baseball cap on backwards, you can do that sort of stuff as well, but you spend a little bit more to do that. But usually you can upgrade pretty much anything in a car. And what about um, safety ratings? Is that something I should be looking at? Oh, yeah. Safety ratings is is pretty much key to any family vehicle. Any family vehicle who hasn't got five stars in the last six or eight years is just wrong. Because what happens is that the end cap rating, the test that it actually goes through, moves on. The test becomes more stringent. 
So older cars begin to lose their stars. So even though they got five stars when they got it first, okay. by them, if they were tested again today, they might only get three stars. Because okay. of pedestrian safety, because of airbags, because of new technology that comes out within cars, it has to be tested by that rating. So an older car actually would end up with less stars today if they were tested. Okay. Again I didn't know anything about that and I had never even really come across safety ratings. And I suppose I grew up in a family where uh, my dad was into classic cars and we used to like travel around in the back of a Morris Minor or a Morris Traveller with like no seatbelts and stuff. <laughs> so uh, I thought that that was all just taken care of now. I didn't realise that that was, that was an actual thing that yeah, we should in be the checking older cars, up on. Your knees could be the airbags in the older cars because you're clo so close to everything. It's, it's, a, it's the size. Like if you look at modern cars now, they are much bigger than their equivalent version from 10 or 15 years ago. Mm. The physical size of the car has gotten bigger yeah. because they want you further away from the collision. So when a collision happens, they want the car to receive all the energy and the passenger doesn't touch anything apart from an airbag maybe or mm -hmm. something inside. But every single year, the NCAP, and there's an American version of this as well, but the NCAP is the universal test we have. It's not perfect by any means, but it's the only test we have that actually physically crashes a car and tells us what the results of that is going mm -hmm. to be for each individual car. So it's based on pedestrian safety. One of the stars is actually if you were to collide with a pedestrian outside the car, if that pedestrian would survive with minimal injuries, wow. that's one of the stars. So you can end up with a four-star car, perfectly safe for the passengers, mm. but not safe for pedestrians. Okay. So you kind of have to figure it out. So you can actually go to NCAP uh, website and see with your car how many stars it's got right now. That's really interesting. Even your older one, which you probably don't want to look up. <laughs> <laughs> would it even be there? I don't know. Um, the other thing, like I'm obviously uh, on a budget, so... Um, the, and I don't do very many miles in the car, but are there any tips that I can uh, use to, to keep the fuel costs down? Really, t fuel costs come with two reasons. The way you drive is the number one way. So if you accelerate really hard all the time and you're always braking very hard, you're kind of one of those kind of drivers and there's multiples of those on the road, you will burn more fuel. If you're a very smooth driver, you know, if you imagine you get into the back of a limousine mm -hmm. and you've been driven around by an expert, that, that kind of driver saves a ton of fuel all the time. But it's also to do with weight and tyre condition. That's your two uh, other mitigating factors. So if you have very heavy, knobbly tyres, sort of off-road tyres, they mm -hmm. cause more resistance in the car, so they resist more rolling forward. And when they do that, you end up burning more fuel just to get going in the first place. Uh, and then the weight of the car. So things like people carrying around gym kit and the boot or, okay. you know, so all the sports kit. So I always have kit. like a ton of junk in the yeah, That's what everyone has, yeah. Um, so that's a no-no. Remove it. If you want to save fuel, if you want to be really, if you want to get your little spreadsheet out and start figuring out how many grams of fuel you can save over time, it really does matter. The weight of the car is going to be a huge factor. And weight of the car is everything. So weight of the car makes the car more fuel efficient, makes it faster, makes it lighter, makes it everything. So okay. every car company is absolutely fascinated by weight. Okay. Um, and what else? I suppose, um, like, what common pitfalls do you see of somebody in my position about to, to buy a car? Um, what are the common pitfalls of buying a family car from a, a dealership when it's secondhand? The biggest problem is, well, you've got a couple of factors into it. So you can, first of all, check your insurance on the cars. I, I always ask people to do that as well. Just make sure you can you easily get insurance for whatever car you're about to buy. Because sometimes you're moving from something that is 12 or 13 years old into something that's absolutely brand new and it's completely different value to the insurance company. Now, besides that part, uh, once you buy a car, you're kind of stuck with it. So most people forget to have a good look at the car the day it's being delivered to them. So if you're going to a dealership to buy it, you're handing over your money, you're signing on all the dotted lines, say the car is yours, and you haven't inspected it at that point, 
because there's a little honeymoon period of mm-hmm. a new car. It's the first few days where you go for the drive for the sake of going for the drive. You're not really, you know, you're just getting used to the car. You're finding all the buttons and switches and stuff. And in that little honeymoon period, you hear a creak or a rattle or you find a button isn't working or one of these windows won't go down or something. It's at that point you've got to go back for your warranty. Right. Which on paper will sound fabulous. When you actually turn up at the dealership and get something done, it can be a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. You're now at their mercy, so to speak. So if you can spend an hour with the car, just poking and prodding and making sure everything's okay before you take it away with you, before you've signed for anything, then that's the best way out. Then you know at least if something's broke there and then, you can walk away and you know you've done nothing wrong here. You know. And would you take the car into like your local garage after you've got it back home for them to give it a check over while you're still in that warranty period? Yep, definitely. Or even do that while you're on the test drive. I know people who've done that before. You can actually pay uh, mechanics and have an inspector of the car at a dealership. They'll do it and they'll provide you a report at the end of it to make sure it's right. Now, you'll have to pay for that, but it might be the cheapest 140 euro you've ever paid in your life, you know. Colour. Uh, all the cars seem to be grey these days. Um, does the colour affect the um, safety or the resale value? It certainly does. It affects both. It definitely affects the resale value. So if you go out and you buy a lime green car, some sort of oddball colour, you're going to find a reduced audience who want to buy it later. Okay, So it will affect the resale value. And again, that's why we sell so many grey, silver, you know, they're they're like standard coloured cars. So you never really devalue the car by the colour of that, but it ends up being a little bit boring. So mm-hmm. people go for a different colour. Uh, black cars are harder to look after. So they tend to look dirty immediately in the morning. So if you're going to buy a black car, remember you're going to, have to wash it very often or it just looks dirty all the time. Uh, white cars actually don't look dirty very often. It takes a long time for the dirt to build up on them. So white cars actually stay cleaner longer. From a safety perspective, This is Ireland. We get a lot of grey days with grey roads and grey skies and grey rain. And if you put a grey car into that, you're immediately nearly invisible on the road. So at that point, from the safety perspective stuff, the more colourful the car is, the more it'll stand out on the road. The colour of the car has a massive effect on everything to do with the car. And plus your enjoyment of the car. So looking out the window of the car is 80% of happy ownership. So not actually driving it, just looking at the car. So if you like it, if you like the look of it, colour is going to have a massive effect on how a car looks. So is there any way of checking up the history of a car before I buy it? There's multiple places online you can do that just by getting the reg plate and putting it in. It does cost money, but it is generally worth the, the, the effort and time to do it. Uh, if you're settled, now I would only do this if I was really settled on a car. So if it's the last car and I've definitely decided this is the one for me, you get the reg plate of the car, you can go along to multiple Irish websites. I can check to see if the car has been a UK import, mm-hmm. if it's very high mileage, if the mileage that you got off the dashboard is not the same, and that's registered online, you can get that too. It can be a very cheap outlay if you're going to be spending 10 or 15,000 euros on a car. Spending 30 or 40 euro just to check its history mm-hmm. is no big deal. Also, very important to check, uh, there's different categories of write-offs of a car. So we think of a write-off as being a car that's like a, an accordion. You know, it's it's a total write-off, but actually there's different categories of write-offs. So you can have a car that's it's not financially viable to repair it but it still gets repaired and sold on. So it's still technically a write-off, but it's not actually that bad. Mm. It could still be sold, but it's it's in your own interest to know that that's a write-off because that's going to come up. When you go to sell the car, someone else is going to check the history and they're going to see it. How often should um, I really be getting it serviced? Generally speaking, most cars will go one year on a standard service. So you can every year at the same date thereabouts you service it no matter what the mileage is some cars are more about mileage so every 20,000 or every 30,000 kilometers you're supposed to get something done 
And there's other scheduled bits in as well, like the timing belt, which is something people don't really talk about. But every 100,000 kilometers, a timing belt is supposed to be changed if it's a belt in the car. So that's not something it's, that can be very difficult to check whether it's been done before or not. Mm-hmm. So if your car is 115,000 kilometers and you're going to buy it now, you need to know if that timing belt is already done. Right. That timing belt could be six or 800 euro to change. It can be a big outlay in a very short space of time to get that changed. So you can check that too. That should be in the service history. And often under the bonnet on a timing belt, someone will have tipexed on the mileage that the timing belt okay. was changed on. But I wouldn't rely on that. Look at the actual service history, make sure it's there. Servicing is a shop around feature. Um, and something most people ignore they go to a main dealership and they get the car service there which is great it's the most expensive way but you will get 100% you will get the correct parts of your car and you'll have experts who are trained in your car but independent dealers can also do that kind of service it'll be a bit cheaper you probably get what's called spurious parts it sounds like a bad word what it means is it's not the brand name's part but a part that is exactly the same made by someone else so mm-hmm. uh, you can get those kind of parts that can end up being a bit cheaper so it depends on your budget for servicing but servicing is something you need to know the price of before you go into it it can turn out to be an incredible expense if something goes wrong Okay. Um, And the other thing, maybe not for me this time, but there's obviously a lot of talk about electric cars and it's something I'd be really interested in. Um, This time, I don't think I have the the budget or I'm I'm really ready for it. Um, But what would you recommend to, to, like, if I was the next time looking for an electric car? Well, right now we're we're in the greatest upheaval of energy we've ever had. It should be, if this was 100 years ago, we'd be talking about the industrial revolution, but it's the energy revolution now. So how we use energy is changing and how cars use energy is changing we have everything from mild hybrid to a full electric car and everything in between that that's happening all at once um, and we have government targets that are being met to help the environment we've got all that happening so but at the same time we have very few electric cars to choose from there's not that many of them on the market yet car companies are only ramping up the amount of cars they make now you will find by next year you're going to have a lot more and by the year after that, you'll have a good few secondhand cars. Right now, we only have kind of 2017s, 2016s, because they're, they're relatively new. But electrification is on the way. But whether we actually go completely electric or we're still safe in the diesels or still safe in the petrols, that's very much up to legislation as to what they want to do. But, I mean, it looks like right now we're going to be going towards a sort of a semi-electric field. So we have some market electric. But unless you've got a home charger, I wouldn't bother electric. I really wouldn't. Because and it, do you it think it'll much. impact the resale value like of the people buying secondhand cars now that are in petrol and diesel? Not really, because they devalue at their own rate. The cars only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. So, uh, But by 2030, when that ban comes in that they're talking about, whether it ever does or not, I'm not sure. But if it does come in, that will certainly affect the price of a straight diesel or straight petrol car as you buy today. Because it devalues over time. And if nobody wants it on the other end of it, it's not going to be worth much. But if you buy a car today, you're still talking about nine years. I mean, if you buy a brand new car, the car will be nine or 10 years old mm. in that age. So what can be worth anyway? Yeah. Not going to be worth much. But certainly it has a, has an effect on, there's a, a, a gold rush on right now for electric cars, but it will definitely have an effect on its value in the future. And would you drive an electric car yourself? I would. And I've been tempted for some time now because I actually have a home charger in the unique way that journalists work. Mm. I have a home charger put in. Um, because I test electric cars every once in a while. So I've driven them, but realistically, the biggest problem for me has been infrastructure. It's when you want to go somewhere and you find that at the other end of where you're going, there is no charge point or it's nowhere near where you need it to be. Then then the frustration that comes in, whereas we're perfectly geared up for petrol and diesel right now. If you drove, if you went out now and there's a light on your dashboard instead of you were nearly out of petrol, you'd find a, you wouldn't run out of fuel between mm. now and the petrol station. So it's, it's different for electric. Electric is something that's in sort of dreamland and you have people who 
who are very good at future proofing themselves. They have the latest phones, they have the latest laptops, they have the latest of everything, and they just want the latest car as well. So they end up in the latest electric car. Mm. Whether it's right or wrong, they'll never know until they go and trade it in. So it's a brand new technology, really. Uh, even though like some of the cars have been launched for 10 years now, it's still brand new to us yeah. because there's so few of them on the road yet. But for future family stuff, at the moment, I would still t- stick with something petrol or semi-petrol in, in a PHEV form um, because you're doing short journeys back mm. and forth. I mean, diesel doesn't really pay you in that situation. Yeah, it's fascinating to see where it'll go, isn't it? It is. It's a, it's a very different. The future is going to be really weird. Mm. By the time my kids are old enough to drive a car, I'm not sure the cars will even have to be driven. If you know what I mean, we're on that collision course yeah. with with uh, self-driving cars and and different license aspects and then different fuels, which will completely change everything. And in the background of all that, you've got hydrogen happening too, which is another form of fuel. So we've got all of these different types of fuels that's changing everything. And w- this this period of time will be taught in history books in the future as being a very confused time. We may have made a desperate mistake, mm. you know, in the last hundred years. It's going to be cleaned up by the next hundred years, but we won't know. We yeah. won't be around to see it. So that's it. Thanks to Kate for coming along, giving us her car history and, of course, what she's doing in the future. And the very best of luck on your car buying journey. Thank you so much, Bob. For all of life's journeys, you're safe in the hands of Aviva.